listening to The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. To participate in the show, go to my website, ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W dot com. Click on the contact link and submit your question or comment there. I'll use it as part of the show. The other way to do it is to call or text 757-774-8482. Leave your voicemail there and I'll use that as part of the show. And now, the Fret Files Podcast. indeed. Welcome to the Fret Files Podcast. My name is Eric Daw, your friendly guitar scientist with 25 years of experience building and repairing guitars. This is a podcast about guitar repair, guitar building, guitar news, guitar science, and guitar opinions. Sitting beside me is my lovely wife and co-host, Melissa. This is a question and answer episode where we respond to listeners submitted emails and calls. I will read the questions, and Eric will try to answer them. We've got some great questions. Questions about pore filler. Questions about Les Paul gold tops. Even some relationship advice, believe it or not. Oh. Oh, you'll see. Ho-ho. Questions about, questions about side markers. Oh, yeah. Very All kinds exciting. of good stuff. No calls this evening. But that's all right. We're going to make do with some questions and some guitar news. What have you been working on lately? Um, I've been making a bunch of my uh, reproduction blackguard straps. Oh, yeah. Those look so good. Thank you. They're fun to make. And, uh, yeah, they've been pretty popular. Good. It's been pretty cool. Um, and a couple custom orders for Christmas. And that's mm-hmm. about it. Yeah. yeah, good. What about you? What's on your bench? Uh, currently, uh, I'm working on a few uh, ES-175 archtop types. One has a you know beautiful guitar, but someone refretted it and kind of did a botch job. So I'm trying to salvage kind of a kind of a bad refret. Oh dear. I, I think it's yeah. I think it's close enough that I can. They, I just don't like the way they did the fret ends. It's really kind of a nasty-looking refret. And, it's, I mean, can you salvage what you have? Or I think you... so. I, I'm going to try to salvage what I can, and they also sanded off a bunch of the lacquer. You know, the the binding is is white or off-white. Right. And the lacquer really yellows, and they sanded off a bunch of the lacquer, so there's a bunch of white spots showing through. Oh. Oh, that's annoying. Yeah, I know, and the customer wasn't happy about that. So I'm going to try to salvage what what somebody else messed up. Jeez. That's all right. I can do it. Uh, the other 175 uh, has some electronics issues. Hmm. Yeah, so I've been working on two of those. What else have I been working on? A lot of custom builds I've sent out. I think I sent out three in November. 
Wow. And uh, I have three more in paint right now that should be done in December. Cool. I know. I know. I was looking. Yeah, I was looking at the uh, production list, and I think I've made um, almost 30 guitars this year. Nice. Yeah. And you've been swamped with repairs all year, Yeah, too. right. So, so lots of repairs and lots of... Uh, Lots of custom builds. I need to... I'm actually going to try to... I'm going to slow it down a little bit I, on the custom builds, I think. Wow. I really only want to do two or three a month. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Anyhow, should we do some guitar news? Yeah, let's do it. Guitar news. This comes to us from the Cracker Jack news team over at uh, Reverb.com. Okay. This is this is uh, some some rosewood news. Oh yeah, CITES rosewood restrictions on musical instruments have ended. Hmm. By Joel Handley. On August twenty eighth, twenty nineteen, the Conference on International Trade in Endangered Species of Wild Flora and Fauna (CITES) in Geneva, Switzerland, voted to exempt finished musical instruments, parts, and accessories from CITES restrictions on all rosewood species except. Brazilian rosewood. Mm -hmm. So we're back to where we were a few years ago. Yeah. The restrictions on Brazilian rosewood, whose endangered species status and restrictions predate those on other kinds of rosewood, remain in place. Of course, yeah. As of November 26th, 2019, the exemption for musical instruments is now in effect according to the CITES Convention. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service will no longer issue permits for the export of finished musical instruments, parts, and accessories, bringing an end to much of the headaches that have plagued the musical instruments industry for the last several years. According to the National Association of Music Merchants, or NAM, CITES member... Member countries outside of the U.S. may still have restrictions in place as they move toward abiding by the musical instruments exemption. Hmm. NAM advises anyone exporting instruments from the U.S. to check with the recipient's country to see what permit permits, if any, are required. Note, the European Union will take up to four weeks or possibly longer to implement the exemption according to France's musical instruments trade group, CSFI. Until that time, exporting instruments containing rosewood from the EU will still require an export permit. Okay, well, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. As of November 26, an import permit will still be required for EU member states. Uh, but when applying for an import permit, you no longer need to have an accompanying export permit or CITES appendix form. Okay, well, there you go. So, I mean, we're not out of the woods yet, but, it's, uh, but it looks like that has been lifted. Yeah, it should be a lot easier to... Uh ship guitars across cross borders now. Yeah, absolutely. As many reverb sellers and buyers will know, CITES restrictions on the international trade of Rosewood has made the sale of, and sometimes merely the travel with, musical instruments a painful process. The exemption now in place is the result of a years-long campaign. A coalition of musical instrument manufacturers and other gear industry actors has, since at least 2016, argued that instruments containing rosewood, outside of Brazilian rosewood, should not be restricted by CITES. When implemented in 2017, the regulation sought to reduce the amount of endangered rosewood Babinga? Yeah, Babinga. Oh, babinga. you've never heard of Babinga. Never heard of Babinga. Well, there you go. Okay. 
and some other tone woods that are used for manufacturing all kinds of products around the world. The basic argument made by Nam and others was that the amount of rosewood used for making musical instruments pales in comparison to the amount used to make furniture and creates undue burdens for instrument manufacturers, dealers, and buyers. Even with the exemption for finished musical instruments and products, companies that buy raw rosewood will still have to abide by separate protections. So there you go. Cool. Yeah. It was, you know, I had a few people that wanted to order guitars from Canada. I couldn't do rosewood fingerboards like they wanted. Yeah. I I had a few guitars for sale on Reverb, rosewood fingerboards. I mean, I mostly, when I when I sell a used instrument, it's usually some, like, you know, Supro from 1959 or something. Right. And those will often have Brazilian rosewood fingerboards. Well, good luck, good luck shipping that across a border. Yep. With the, uh, with the extreme, uh, restrictions, uh, regulations and restrictions in place. Yeah. Yep. So that's been lifted. Cool. Hallelujah. Well, that's good. Absolutely. That's all we've got for news. Um, I wanted to touch on the last question from the last episode. Okay. If you'll recall, the gentleman in question had a telly with a Bigsby. Okay. Do you remember? Uh, vaguely. Oh, okay. Anyway, um, he had the bridge sitting up way too high. Oh, yes. And he was wondering what he should do to remedy the situation if he should shim the neck. Well, I just was not paying close enough attention to what was going on with his question there. Okay. But if... The bridge is already sitting too tall. He won't want to shim the neck pocket uh, on the pickup side because that's going to make his problem even worse. Uh-huh. Right? Right. So he could shim the back end of the neck pocket. So, like, toward but the headstock? Yeah, but what I'm wondering is if uh, if a, a telly with a, a Bigsby mm-hmm. typically will have a shim or shims in the neck pocket. And what I'm wondering is if there's already shims there. Oh. What what he probably needs to do is take the shims out that are already there. Mhm. That's that's my guess. Anyhow, I was listening to that last episode and I thought, "Hey, I can answer this question." <laughs> the host is not doing a very good job. That host was me. Uh, so anyhow, I, I emailed this guy and told him as much, said, maybe you've got some shims already in there. And so he's looking into it. We're figuring it out. Cool. But, uh, you know, he may, if, if there aren't already shims in there, he may need to, uh, deepen that neck pocket with, uh, with a router if he, if he is so inclined to do something like that. If not, then, you know, he should be able to find somebody who can. I hate to put shims at the weird end of the neck pocket. That's, I like I like that you call it the weird end. Well, for a shim, it is. Yeah. The problem with a shim like that is you'll see a gap, or right. you'll see the shim if it's right next to the right. edge there. Yeah, that makes sense. It's not good. That's not good. Anyhow, that was just a follow up on that. Let's uh, shall we shall we read some questions? We have yep. No calls, but here's here's the uh, yeah. We got a, we got a little song we play here for you. You'll like it. Oh, yeah. 
Hi, Eric and Melissa. First, I had a suggestion for the guitar scientist with monoscopic vision looking for help with center lines. I mounted a laser level in the ceiling that will draw a straight line on my bench or whatever is on is on top of it. How about that? I used it this morning to check the center line on my current build. You do need to make sure it's pointing straight down so the line does not shift with the height of your object. Mm. Second, I'm thinking about converting my LP style guitars to master tone, master volume. What do you do with the extra holes? Thanks, Justin. Hmm. What would you do with the extra holes? Uh, that's brilliant on the uh, on the laser, the ceiling mounted laser level. Yeah, that's, that's great. Awesome. That's that's a hint for our our friend who's lost the vision in one eye. Yep, recall. Yep, I remember that guy. Yeah. Hopefully that helps you out, buddy. That's a gr- man. That is a great tip. I love that. Check out how smart our listeners are. Thank you, Justin. Uh, he's thinking about converting his Les Paul to master tone and master volume. What would you do with the extra holes? Uh, well, my first thought is just dummy pots and knobs not not hooked up to anything. You know, okay. That way they're not empty holes. Yep. Um, above and beyond that, <clears throat> things get complicated. I mean, my my. My sense is if you're if this is what you're doing, if this is if this is the direction you're going with master volume and master tone, then you're probably uh you're probably moving in the direction of simplification. Right. Right. So adding more doodads and and tricked out, you know, pots and switches is probably the opposite way of what you want to do. Yeah. But depending on depending on how you want it wired, you could do a number of things. You could do a coil tap. You could do a phase switch. You could do like a series parallel thing. You could do all kinds of things. Yeah. But, you know, keep it simple, really. I mean, that's always my first, that's my go-to, keep it simple. But um, a, a phase thing on the Les Paul is super cool. I mean, Peter Green... Yeah, I know right? exactly who that is. You do. It's that's the. Early, oh, is that Fleetwood Mac? That's pre-girl Fleetwood Mac. Oh yeah, that's cool. I'm into that. Uh, I was thinking he could put a tiny flower pot in the holes. You would think that. And put flowers in there. Put a planter in it. Yeah, dummy pots and knobs. That's what I'm thinking. That's what I would do. Keep yeah. it simple, right? Yeah. Anything beyond that. A phase switch would be very cool. To do the phase thing, you're going to need um, pickups that are for conductor. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that may not be an option for you, depending on what kind of pickups you have in there. Sure. All righty. Thank Thanks, you. Justin. Thank you, Justin. Eric and Melissa, I hope things are well in Idaho and your boys are happy and healthy. They are. Yep, yeah, and we are. Yep. Uh, I have a question about fret side markers. I know some cheaper guitars don't even have them, and I have a Squire with very poor side markers. It's like they used dowel rather than perloid, and I can't see them very well in the dark. 
It could also be my deteriorating eyesight. Either way, that would mm. what would be the easiest and most preferred method of adding real perloid side markers onto a cheaper guitar where the neck is already finished? I'm talking about the function of an inexpensive workhorse-type guitar and not the integrity of a vintage guitar. Hand drill and super glue? Is there a tool I should be aware of? What are your thoughts? Thanks, Zach in Seattle. Hmm, yeah, okay. Thanks, Zach. Uh, well, typically, um, side dot material is, uh, white or black plastic. It's not, not perloid. But you can do, you know, Stuart McDonald and other supply companies do sell perloid, uh, side dots. They're usually a bit bigger, too, so you, that, you might like that. I think they're, um, they're 332 seconds, uh, diameter. Uh, standard side dot material is one sixteenth. So uh, you might want to go that direction. I don't know. Um, your question made me think of um, uh, Danny Gatton is famous for putting cubic zirconium side dots in. Really? Yeah. And they sat just proud of the finish so it would actually pick up light from anywhere in the room. Wow. Yeah. Get yourself some cubit zirconia, Zach. Can you do that? I think it's cu- I think cubic. it's cubic. Yeah. Cubit. Cubic. Cubit is a measurement of distance. That's yeah. outdated. All right. Sorry, uh, I poured our drinks a little strong tonight, I yeah. guess. Uh so uh the 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 trick is though, um the the trick is to to get those uh dots dr- drilled out um perfectly on a straight line right uh-huh. to get the dot to get the holes oh, I see what you mean. to hold to get the holes drilled in the right Spots. place it's yeah. very yeah, it's it's tricky to do mm-hmm. um a brad point bit helps but when we're getting down to this that small of a drill bit the brad point bits are not as useful as like a like a larger brad point bit really helps you drill a clean uh, hole that where the the drill bit won't move on you, you know. Uh-huh. But um, so you'll want to line it up right with something so that all of the all of the holes are drilled on the same plane, right? So like a, a straight edge line. Yeah, yeah, right, right. like okay. a straight edge or something. Um, and uh, the, typically, what you do with a side dot. Is you drill the holes, mm-hmm. and then the side dot material is just a stick. It's literally just a stick of plastic. Right. And then you, you, I usually use super glue. Put some super glue in the hole, shove the stick in the hole, and then cut it flush with a razor blade. Okay. And it's it's almost. I mean, at that point, you're almost done. Really. Right. Because it's you cut it flush with a razor blade, and it looks very good. I mean, even, you know, on a guitar neck that's already finished. Wow. So, uh, it gets trickier if some, some, some guitar necks, the side dot is centered right where, like, the fingerboard meets the neck wood. Oh, so okay. you'll have, like, a rosewood fingerboard and then a maple neck, and the dot is centered right 
where the two meet. So half is on rosewood and half is on the maple? Yeah. And so we're talking about a precision drilled hole here. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's best done with a brad point drill bit and a, uh, a drill press. Okay. Right. Uh, the the perloid dots, if you want to go with the perloid dots, they're a bit bigger. But um, to me, they look clumsy. Because they're so big mm-hmm. that they kind of look goofy. Okay. So I don't know. Um, so he says he has a squire with poor side markers. Can he just drill out those exact side markers and then? Yeah, I'm curious if it's a if it's like a a black dot on a maple board or a white dot on a on a on a rosewood board or what what it is. Yeah, it says he can't see them very well in the dark, so I assume they're similar color mm-hmm. to the surrounding mm-hmm. area. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The first thing I would try would just to just to do the traditional side dots. Mm-hmm. Drill them out and redo them with traditional side dot material, and if that's not enough, you could go with Stumac's larger perloid dots, side dots. Or if you really want to go crazy, you could go with Danny Gatton's cubic zirconium side dots. And if you want to go really crazy, just get diamonds. Well, on your squire. (laughs) Diamond side markers on your squire. Thank you, Zach. Hey, Eric and Melissa. Wondering if you could help me with some relationship advice. Oh, no. Uh, Double-sided tape and I have had a falling out, mainly on my end. I have trust issues. Let me explain. I'm finding that double-sided tape, although the preferred method of many for securing templates to tone wood, has some ever-so-slight give to it. Just enough for my router bit's ball bearing to shift the template whilst I am routing. The end result? Well, the latest is a neck pocket that is out of shape and also too big to to be considered nice and snug. Have you ever come across this issue? Are there any more secure methods of keeping those damn templates secure? Or is it just my novice guitar building skills? Help! My latest victim is a beautifully resonant and light piece of swamp ash that I would hate to discard. Can you recommend any repairs to refilling the neck pocket so I can reroute it properly? Thanks again, Joe in Sydney, Australia. Thanks, Joe. Yeah, well, you know, it's a challenge that a lot of people find. Uh, it depends on what you're routing and what the template's for. Um, <clears throat> lately, I've been using screws when I I, I, I make my own pit guards, mm-hmm. and I'll drill out the the mounting holes, right? Oh, okay. And then now you've got holes to line up, so I'll put screws from the underside up into my template. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. And then, boy, it really doesn't move at all, you know. I feel like that's going to eventually tear out those holes, though, on your template, right? Yeah, maybe. Um, it's just a, a wood screw that's pretty coarse thread, and it's I think it's going to be okay. Okay. But, um, there's a lot of different ways to do it, man. I mean, um, depending on the job you're doing, clamps. I mean... A lot of people do that, you know, for like a, for a neck pocket, um, I would use a clamp. So you clamp the piece of wood to the template and then... And then your router. Your router, yeah. yeah. 
Okay. If if your template isn't big enough for clamps, what you can do is use your template to make another template that's much bigger, you know, has a lot more surface area. Right? Because you need a lot of surface area to clamp it so that your router can go in between the clamps. Oh, oh, oh I see. I see yeah. what you mean. Okay. I see. So clamps, um, some people use use just tiny pin nails. Oh, okay. Because uh, a little pin nail, you know, you can, if especially if you're, you know, doing like something like ash where you need to pour fill anyway, mm-hmm. just a little pinhole in, in, your, in the wood under the pit guard is no big deal. Right. So little pin nails, a lot of people do that. Um, screws, clamps, uh, maybe you're not using enough tape. I mean, more tape. I don't know. That double-sided tape is... I know what you mean. It does have a little give to it. So maybe use the double-sided tape and two pin guides. Yeah. You know, two pin nails. Yep. Um, I've heard of people... I've never tried this, but I've heard of people using that 3M spray adhesive. And that'll come off? Well, I've never tried it. Oh. I, 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 I've just heard of, you know, maybe 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 look into that. Because um, I've used that... In leatherworking before, and that stuff, it don't like to come Is off. Is it pretty stout? Yeah, really? stout stuff. Yeah. Do you remember, we had a listener once who made his own double-sided tape by using, what he would do is he would take two pretty wide pieces of blue painter's tape, mm-hmm. and then he would glue them back-to-back with super glue. Yeah, I vaguely remember that. He made his own double-sided tape that way uh-huh. and uh, I kind of like this idea because the the double-sided tape that I use um, man it's it, it can be hard to get off like if you're making a pit guard or something right you know you get the residue on there and uh-huh. or if or if you know if you're routing a nice piece of wood and you get double-sided tape residue the cool thing about the blue painter's tape is it's it sticks pretty well, but it doesn't leave really any residue. Yeah, and it comes right off when you want it to come off. Yeah. But it seems like that would be a lot thicker, and so you might get problems that way. Yeah, no, I don't think that that's going to be an issue. It's probably it's probably about the same thickness as the double-sided tape. That The double-sided tape is kind of thick. Yeah. Huh. Well, not really. I don't know. You might be right. But um, there's a few there's a few uh, suggestions for you. I hope that I hope that helps you. Good luck, Joe. Yeah. Should we take a quick break? Let's do it. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. If you're at all curious about my guitar repair services or my custom guitars, you can check out my websites, ericdaw.com. That's more the repair side of things. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. I would love to help you with that tricky repair or restoration. You know, maybe you don't have somebody in your area, or maybe you've got a very valuable guitar that you don't want to trust to just anybody. And the guitars that I make are at pinupcustomguitars.com. That's pinup, like pinup girl, P-I-N-U-P. I offer worldwide service uh, on repairs. People send me repairs from all over the country and, uh, well, even internationally. And I definitely send guitars all over the world. So if you're curious about what I do and want to learn more, that's how to check it out. ericdaw.com. 
and pinupcustomguitars.com. Liz here from Emerald City Guitars, located in the heart of historic Pioneer Square in downtown Seattle, Washington. We are one of the world's premier vintage guitar shops, going strong for over 22 years. Specializing in the most rare, the funkiest, and most collectible vintage and pre-owned electric guitars, acoustic guitars, amplifiers, and more. We cater to anyone and everyone, from the guy next door to collectors and famous rock stars. Not only do we pay top dollar for used gear, we also offer trade-ins and consignment. We also have in-house repair and offer free appraisals. We have a variety of social media accounts that we post our goods daily. Find us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at EC Guitars. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and see our daily episodes of the featured Guitar Pick of the Day and Reality of Emerald City Guitars shows. Give us a call to chat in person at 206-382-0231 and visit our online store at www.emeraldcityguitars.com. Hey guitar nerds, you probably already know that I make custom leather guitar straps. All of my straps are handcrafted from design all the way to completion. You can see examples of my past work on my Instagram account, that's at MelcoLeather. Visit MelcoLeather.com now to get free shipping on orders of $35 or more within the U.S. That's MelcoLeather.com, M-E-L-C-O Leather.com. Eric, hope y'all are doing well this holiday season. I've been playing the heck out of the telly you made me, and it continues to amaze and inspire. Right on. Thanks. I am writing with two questions about 54 gold tops. The first of which is, have you ever considered building one? I am always searching Alex Sorokin's Sorokin's Instagram, and he's certainly inspiring in this respect. He is. If you're willing to build one, we should talk. If not, I've got my eye on a reissue from Carter's and was wondering if it would be okay to have them send it straight to you for a setup and then on to me. Let me know what you think and cheers. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Andrew. Yeah, Andrew's, uh, I, I made him a, uh, I made him a T-style guitar not too long ago and he likes it, so that's cool. Cool. Yeah, Alex Sorokin makes beautiful guitars. So you should buy one of his or the or the reissue you've got your eye on because I don't build Les Paul style guitars. So thank you for asking, but no. That's not what I do. Uh but yeah, if you wanna if you wanna this 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 is a fellow that he uh, he has repairs sent to me pretty regularly, so Cool. So yeah, if you want to buy one and just have it shipped directly to me, that's great. Yeah, just email me about that and we'll we'll figure it out. Cool. Absolutely. Thank you, Andrew. Hi, Eric. Is there an easy way to tell if a guitar has been refinished? My buddy bought a vintage telly and has been told that it was refinished by a tech. He thought it he bought it thinking it it was original. Help us out, Brad. Hmm. Brad, uh, there, there's, uh, there's kind of an art to it. It can be hard to tell if it's done well, especially nowadays. So many guys are really good at replica finishes. So it can definitely be hard to tell. Um, there's some obvious things, you know, that can be present um, when a guitar is refinished. Uh, but if none of those are present, 
then it can be it can be very hard to tell. But the finish needs to look right. It just takes some expertise. You kind of have to know what you're looking for. Okay. Um, but you'll want to look for uh, a, f- a few telltale signs. A lot of uh, a lot of refinishes have a little bit of orange peel or maybe a, a paint run. A factory painted guitar should not have any of that. Okay. Factory painted guitar should be a, a nice, good, clean pro finish, right? Okay. Um, you'll want to look in the neck pocket and under the pit guard. You know, under the bridge, any you know, any whatever kind of guitar it is, it's got parts that come off of it. So you want to look. Um, if it if it was another color before, a lot of times you'll see that in the neck pocket. Okay. A lot of times, uh, paint flakes will come off on the back of the neck plate, mm-hmm. and then you can see kind of what's going on from that. If you can see different layers of color or uh, uh, you know, something that doesn't look right, that can be obvious. Um, it needs to be the right material. You know, you would not expect to find a nitro lacquer 70s telly. It should be poly. Yeah, okay. So uh, you need to know what you're looking for as far as it being historically accurate. You need to know what to look for as far as the color being historically accurate. It would just be really, really unusual to find certain colors from certain eras, right? Yeah. Another way to tell on a, at least on a fender, um, most fenders need to be totally uh, disassembled in order to refinish them. And in order to do, to do that, you have to desolder some of the electronics, right? Mm-hmm. So if you've got a telly where all of the solder joints are original then that lends credence to the fact that the finish is probably original. Uh, You took apart a guitar not that long ago in front of me, and uh, it had been refinished, but uh, the solder joints joints were still intact, but there was overspray on all the the wires, and that would be telltale, too. That would be a real obvious thing. Well, overspray overspray on the electronics and overspray on the wires is a real... That's a giveaway thing. Yeah. That's not a factory thing. Yeah. 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 So there's a lot of ways, you know, um, a black light can help, but only if you know what you're looking for. It's not really the kind of thing that is easy to explain, but if you've looked at, you know, scores or hundreds of guitars under black light, then you kind of know what you're looking for. Um, black light also really can help you to see any repairs that were invisible before. Okay. That makes sense. You know, and uh, cuz a lot of times finish repairs can be almost imperceptible. Mm-hmm. But under black light they'll be really obvious. So, there's a few tips. Uh the 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 best way to know is experience. I'm sorry. I know that's I know that's a hard pill to swallow. I I wish that I had just, you know, some really easy, clear-cut guidelines, and I gave you as many as I could. Yeah. But um, experience is is the best there. And the the biggest reason for that is so many guys have gotten so good at fake finishes now that it's it can be very, very hard to tell. So 
Uh, yeah, I guess uh, if you had pictures of this, would you be able to tell? Maybe not. It can be it can be really hard to tell from pictures. It's best to see it in person. Mm. So well, the, send us pictures, Brad. Maybe yeah, maybe hap- Eric can tell. Yeah, I'm happy to look at some pictures. If you've got anybody in your area that that has some expertise in in uh, vintage guitars, have them look at it and and get their opinion. Get as many opinions as you can on it, really. Yeah. Wow. Thanks, Brad. Hi, Fret people. Hey, that's us. <laughs> I've been doing some guitar finishing with lacquer on ash, and the pore filling has me perplexed. It seems like it's impossible to get every little pore filled right and then sanded smooth. Maybe I'm just using the wrong sauce. So far, all I have tried is some Stumac water-based pore filler. What do you use for pore filling, and can you talk us through the process? My finishes end up with lots of pinholes, and I don't like it. Thanks, and love the show. That's from Morgan in New Mexico. Well, thanks, Morgan. You know, patience is the key on pore filling, and uh, there's a, there's plenty of perfectly acceptable products to use. Um, gosh, uh, almost everybody sells some kind of a some kind of pore filler, but um, typically, what you have to do is pore fill and then sand and pore fill and sand maybe two or three times to get it right, and then you'll want to use a uh, a sanding sealer after you do that. And then, so the sanding sealer is basically, you know, it's a special coat with uh, um, additives in it to make it easy to sand. Uh-huh. So, uh, and it also, it also is just kind of a glaze over the very last bit of pore filling that needs to be done. So, um, I've, gosh, I've used so many. I, I mostly use water-based pore filler now. Uh, the thing I like about the water-based stuff is it's an easy cleanup. It doesn't have nasty, awful, toxic odors. Um, but I've used the oil-based stuff too. Uh, it's it's pretty heavy duty, but it's you know it's good. It's good stuff. Uh, there's a there's one there's one that's clear that I like called Aquacoat. Aquacoat pore filler. Uh, it's really cool. The thing I like about it is it's clear and I'm, I do a lot of, uh, kind of transparent finishes. So I like the clear, uh, pore filler. I've used a lot of, I mean, this is, you'll laugh cause this is just a goofy product that you get down at Home Depot, but Elmer's wood filler. It's a water-based paste and it's like a, it's like the color of silly putty. Elmer's, like Elmer's glue? Yeah, like Elmer's. Glue? Yeah, Elmer's wood filler. Wow. It's water-based. Um, I don't... It's basically, it says it's like carpenter's wood filler, you know? I don't think it's... I don't think it's meant to be a pore filler, but gosh, it works... It actually works great as a pore filler. Wow. And it's five bucks. I mean, you, you go down to any hardware store, just about has it. And it's water-based, easy cleanup, uh, and it's kind of the right color it's not transparent but it's kind of the right color it's like it's like looks like silly putty that color yeah um and you can since it's water-based you can you can even uh you can take a little bit put it in a cup a mixing cup and add a little bit more water to it to make Make to make it thinner if you want 
Yeah. Cool. And it does, it, it starts to harden, so you can just add water to the jar and stir it up. Wow. Yeah, it's good. Uh, a lot of pore filler that you buy is white, and that's, it, that doesn't, that's great for a, uh, you know, if you're doing a color, a solid color. Right. But if you're doing a blonde or a butterscotch, it just doesn't, I don't think it looks quite right. I don't think it looks quite right. I like the clear, you know, my buddy Carson Hess, who does amazing uh, finish work and relic, fender style relic stuff. Yeah. And restorations on vintage fenders. He uses uh, super glue. Really? Yeah, he uses super glue for pore filler. And I've tried it and it does it does work. That sounds like a mess. That's what I said. <laughs> that's exact when he told me that, that is exactly what I said. I said that sounds absolutely terrifying. That's going to be a giant mess. But it's not that bad, really. Um you want to use uh what are those what are those crazy black gloves for made for chemical use? It's not the vinyl gloves, but they're like nitrile? Is that Ni- what they're called? Nitrile? Ni- yeah, I don't know. The the heavy duty gloves. If you yeah. try to use a if you try to use just a like a surgical glove, um It'll just melt. It'll melt and melt onto your hand. With super glue. Yeah. Don't yeah. ask me how I know this. <laughs> right? Clearly uh, this is experience talking, right? No, you want the really heavy-duty black um, chemical gloves. But you just put some you put some super glue on your wood, rub it around with the glove, that's about it, and then sand it smooth. The problem with super glue is that when it dries, it kind of has a tendency to crystallize a little bit and get kind of rough and have high and low spots. So it's not as smooth as a, a pore filler. Even after you would sand. Be. Well, no, yeah, you need to sand it. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you have to sand it. Yeah. Interesting. But typically, what you want to do, what no matter what pore filler you're using, you want to sand it to two twenty. Then I'll take my air compressor and blow out all the pores. Because if you've got dust sitting in your pores, the pore filler goes in there, but it doesn't get good adhesion. So when you go to sand it, you can take the the pore filler just can come right out. Yeah. Right. So at this point, don't don't use any tack cloths, uh, and make sure it's dust free when you go to when you go to pore fill. You can. Uh, do a light coat of a sanding sealer or a light wash coat of lacquer before you pour fill. Sometimes okay. I do, sometimes I don't. I mean... Depends on how you're Yeah, feeling. it depends on how I'm feeling, but I get pretty similar results either way. But, yeah, pour fill. You, you spread it on with a, uh, a spreader. You go, you go across the grain... To fill the to fill the pores, and then the last pull you'll go with the grain. Okay. Does that make sense? Yep. So across the grain to pack the pores, and then 
your last, your cleanup scrape goes with the grain. And the point is not to, uh, I've seen a lot of people who they'll, they, their first time pour filling, they'll like <clears throat> just spackle the tar out of the surface of the wood. Your, your purpose in pour filling is not to leave a film over the entire wood. You're real, you're just putting filler in the pores and then you're scraping off everything else. Okay. So you just want to leave pour filler in the pores, right? So pour fill, very light sanding. If you need to sand a lot, you're doing it wrong. Okay. So pour fill, very light sanding. And we're, we're just um, making the surface level. Then your air compressor, blow it out again. You'll, you'll need to do this probably twice at least. Another pour fill. Right? Uh-huh. Sand. Blow it off. And then you can start in with uh, with sanding sealer. Or some people just use uh, lacquer as a sanding sealer. Okay. But the sanding sealer has additives in it that make it easier to sand and make it a little bit... It's, it's a little bit of a, uh, a heavier finish and it flows into any extra open pores uh, and helps kind of level out the final, you know, pore filling. Cool. Right. So I hope that helps. It should help. Yeah. Right? Yep. Anyhow, that does it for this episode of the Ferret Files podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for participating. If you want to send in a question or comment, please do so. You can do that by uh, calling 757 757- 774-8482 you can call or text that number 757-774-8482 we'll use your question or comment as part of the show the other way to do it is to go to ericdaw.com e-r-i-c-d-a-w.com click the contact link and we'll use your question as part of the show thank you so much we'll talk to you soon